at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Happy uh, Syracuse Tates over New York City week. Yeah. We got, uh, you obviously have the, the men's basketball teams going to be playing two games in MSG. Uh, the women's basketball team is going to be playing in White Plains against Texas A&M. Um, and then also the football team, as everyone knows by this point, will be playing at Yankee Stadium against Notre Dame. Notre Dame is going to be wearing the ugliest uniforms I've ever seen, um, basically designed by Ed Hardy. <laughs> I, they're just they're really missing a Duke basketball in the Yankees patch. And I know that shirt's <laughs> been beaten into submission but uh, after they were originally revealed, but they are so bad. Just, it's just wildly awful. And that's the thing for a, for a school that, like, prides itself in, you know, tradition and all this other crap. Like, Notre Dame's alternate uniforms, especially of late, have been so garishly awful. The Even the greens. And I used to, like, I know they always lose in the greens. Um, but the old greens, I thought, actually looked pretty good. The greens this weekend were neon. They were very, very bright. And I think these were the first, like, official green alternates under Under Armour, and uh, yeah, they were very, very green. Um, and uh, I've like, I think I like, I've liked like half of the Shamrock series uniforms they've had, and like half of them are just horrendous. Yeah, I mean, this is for, for Syracuse these fans. These are the worst. Yeah, absolutely worst. But like for Syracuse fans that have been clamoring for Syracuse to leave Nike, like don't necessarily think that the grass is greener um, because no. look, cause look, cause look, look what they can do to Notre Dame. And Notre Dame accepts it with bells and whistles, uh, which, you know, the secret of Notre Dame is they do enjoy tradition, but they also really, really like money, um, <laughs> which eventually the AC, they will realize they can make more in a conference than they're making now. Um, but anyway, like, I, the only the only thing that makes me, like, a little bit uh, upset is that, like, that could have easily been us, because you know when they unveiled those pinstripe uniforms, Dr. Gross that was out in California just, like, nodding. Like, he's like, yep, they have the vision. <laughs> he just sat there and went, man, that's brand. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> shoot, shoot that directly into my veins. Just, just the most brand. Um, I'm man. surprised we didn't wear like purple and purple and yellow when we played USC out there. <laughs> we 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 might end up wearing like I mean we know SU is not going to trot out like any like retro uniforms. Oh, um, uh, we're probably going to wear the platinum. We're almost definitely going to wear platinum. Um, I have of, a I have a real feel. I think we wore them at least one of the MetLife games, if not two. We we only the last MetLife game we wore blue, blue and white, and then we also had white face masks on the blue helmets just to like make it completely not on brand. Um, and then the previous MetLife game we went with the uh, I believe it was the orange helmets. No, it might have been the blue helmets. I know it was the blue helmets. It was the blue helmets with with platinum platinum, which is just. It's horrendous, and it was. I think it was like wet that day. I was there. I don't remember which game. It must have been the Penn. No, Penn State. Penn State. When we did not wear the platinum. It no, was, it was. It was Notre Dame. One. It was Notre Dame for both. Yeah, um, I remember very vividly. It was either like raining or just like humid because it's New York City and it's always humid. Um, actually, Meadowlands, but still, same thing. Oh, it's still always humid. It's a swamp, um, and like the interior of those jerseys just become like basically. Heather Gray and the rest of the uniform stays regular gray, so it almost <laughs> becomes two tone. Anyone sweats? It's a really bad. Look. It's just a really bad jersey. Um, I do implore them if anyone at the athletic department has any pull in this, listens to this podcast. If you're going to wear the platinum jerseys, and I hope you don't because they're horrible, wear orange pants and orange helmets. So at least we have something that kind of pops because those jerseys pop like negative pop. They are so <laughs> drab and. The only way to kind of make it okay is if you wear all orange, everything else. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, hopefully, with luck, the new uh, Nike contract uh, throws those things into the fire, never to be seen again. Um, alas, we uh, we'll get some more football in the second half of this one. I don't want I don't want basketball folks to think that we're just completely ignoring the fact that the season started already. 
Um, definitely want to jump in on that a little bit before we go all in on some football talk. Um, that said, like plenty of basketball to talk about. Not necessarily what's happened so far, but I feel like there's plenty to talk about what will happen this week. So uh, might as well jump in there. And then again, football, we have some. So we have a few things to talk about. I think Dan and I were warranted in, in ignoring most of the Louisville preview information, if only because it didn't matter. Um, oh, we, we told you it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, we told you what was going to happen, and it did. Um, and, and We basically wrote the damn strip. Like, they're going to hit some big plays because our defense gives up a couple big plays every game. Um, most likely their quarterbacks will run for a lot of yardage, which happened, and the rest was, who. The only thing we didn't hit is I think by the end we settled that we were probably not going to get Petrino fired because uh, his buyout is going to drop a lot in a couple weeks. Ends up they did not care. They didn't care. When you have 10 offsides penalties and a half, you're going to get fired. It doesn't matter. (laughs) The pay to unsubscribe model. Where you, yes. you're, just, you're just you're just so dead set on not seeing the content anymore that you'll pay not to, that you'll pay to avoid it. Bobby Petrino is basically like whoever signed up for a for like like porn VHS tapes in the '90s. You just can't get rid of them. You're just gonna have to pay some money, and eventually it'll go away. <laughs> and with that, um, Syracuse men's basketball um, through two games. Uh, O'Shea Brissett has become the monster hopefully that we uh we projected him to be 18 and a half points a game 10.5 rebounds um he's really been a, a much more complete player not perfect i don't think anyone on on this team has been perfect so far but i think he's he's really really shown himself i think battle had a really nice bounce back game in game two um elijah Hughes has been some great, a great score i think pascal chukwu has taken some real strides um on the offensive end i think we already knew what he could do defensively um, and the fact that you and, you know, James and I talked about this a little bit um, during the preview. We said, like, even if he could show marginal improvement on the offensive end, that would be huge. I think having four guys um, who conceivably be near double digits every night. Um, and, and obviously, it's only two games so far. So who knows how long this uh, this holds. But having four guys, you know, and without Frank Howard involved, without Jalen Carey really playing big minutes, um, having those guys involved this early and scoring well i think is great having su be able to crash the boards with some efficiency is great i'm uh, I'm, I'm very very excited uh, about what i'm seeing so far even if it it looks kind of hot and cold and, and admittedly the defense um over the weekend on saturday against moorhead state um wasn't always at its best yeah i, I tweeted basically when moorhead started cutting the lead down pretty severely in the first half like i'm going to avoid getting too worked up until we see this team with Frank Howard playing at close to 100% because, like, he's a huge part of this roster. Um, he is a senior, uh, all-ACC caliber point guard, and you're just never going to play your best game without your point guard. And and even now, like, we, we have Jalen Carey back. He's working his way back in. He hasn't, you know, really shown yet, and, and that's what we expected. He's coming off of a pretty, what sounded like a pretty bad ankle sprain. Yeah. Um, and we've seen flashes of that explosion, especially in the first game, um, where he had that really nice uh, drive to the basket. But he's still coming around. We, we've barely seen Howard Washington. We have not seen any Frank Howard. So I'm not going to get super worked up until we see Frank back. Um, the offense definitely is still finding itself, especially beyond the arc. We've been horrible shooting threes. Um, I don't think I don't think this is going to be a great three-point shooting team, but I think it'll be better than 18%. Um, better, than, better than 18% and better than last year. Um, especially with Battle, I think Bayham alluded to it after the game, like Battle's only taken two threes this year. He just isn't comfortable shooting it from there right now. And we've seen from like the last two years, like he's not a super great three-point shooter, but he's not an unwilling one. Um, I think the positive is Battle did the thing where you, uh, if you're not playing, if you're not shooting particularly well as a good scorer, like you just find your way to get to the stripe. And he shot not, you know, he was 9 for 10 from the line and it's Moorhead State. Um, and that was a big part of him getting up to 23 points to leave the team. So I was very encouraged that he was able to like manufacture points and get himself back into some kind of a rhythm and ended up with a nice second game. Um, O'Shea, I think so far he's probably been our best overall player. Um, I think he's like a step forward from where he was last year. He hasn't quite, we haven't quite seen him add, um, those next pieces to his game yet. And that could come during the season. But what we are seeing is like, a slightly more, maybe more consistent, a slightly uh, higher ceiling version of what we got last year, which is a really, really good player. So um, definitely encouraged by that so far. Um, hopefully he uh, starts to become a bit more efficient shooting the ball. And then Hughes just looks really good. Hughes is going to be a good scorer all year. And then once we get 
um, Frank back. Uh, I think this is a really, really dangerous starting five, especially with the way Chukwu has become a more reliable store, like you, like you said. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not going to expect ten and eight from him every game. I think if we get if we get something around like eight and eight, even from him, I, I think I think eight rebounds from him is, is kind of a minimum viable um, on the boards. But if we can get even eight and eight from him, assuming Dolajai probably scores a little bit more, assuming a healthy carry scores more, and again injecting like a Frank Howard that probably scores fourteen to fifteen a game, like. This team is a lot more viable on offense. It's it's what you and I have talked about in the off seasons. What James and I talked about in the preview episode. Like the the big difference that seems like everybody, at least all the naysayers previewing this team, didn't seem to get was like when they saw it, they said, "Oh, returning everyone and the defense is going to be good, but can the team still score?" I don't understand why anyone thinks this team's going to score more. Well, it's because like adding in carry. Potentially adding in Buddy Beheim, who like hasn't necessarily gotten, hasn't necessarily shown the same flashes in the regular season that he showed in preseason, which is understandable. Um, but inserting those two guys, inserting Hughes, like even if the three of them combine combine for just twelve points a game, and I think they'll end up with a lot more than that. That's still scoring that we did not have access to last year, and, and minutes that we didn't have access to last year. Um, so I, I think this team's fine. Again, the the fact that Syracuse fans have a lot of complaints. Um, or at least some do, about the first two games, and, and they still won both games pretty comfortably. Um, I, I'd say that's a pretty good sign for SU going forward. Yeah, the Buddy thing's interesting because he came out so red-hot in that first game. Um, we have to remember, like, we didn't know what to expect from Buddy in this first season um, heading in. I think a lot of us thought he might not even make the rotation, and, and his role going forward is yet to be seen. We all know how the Bayheim thing works. Um, but, uh, and I don't think he's going to make any exception for his son. Um but, like, Buddy's playing 26 minutes a game. We know he's not going to play that during the season, and he's been thrust into the starting lineup. Buddy is probably going to be playing more than twos uh, when when the season progresses. So he's kind of playing out of uh, out of his role more than anyone else, um, aside from Tyus, who has been kind of forced to man the point. Um, so those two guys who have had different levels of struggle, obviously Tyus had a bad first game, bounced back. Buddy hasn't had two good games. They're playing very much out of where they're going to be during the year once we have the point guards situation all settled. So I'm not too worried about him. We didn't we, we, we shouldn't have like come into this season thinking we need Buddy Bam to be like the team's ace three point threat. Like but but whatever Buddy gives us, I think, this year is is a nice lift and hopefully and, and I have no concerns about, you know, him being able to be a, an effective effective bench player going forward. Um and that just goes for the whole team. Like looking at the minute breakdown, we know this isn't going to be what it looks like because we're we're rejecting a guy who played like what thirty eight minutes a game last year into the starting lineup sometime going forward. Hopefully yeah. in two cons. So um, this will all change a lot. This is not the team we we will see during the year. And and you know, knock on wood, uh, we will have a fully healthy season for the most part. So um, yeah, it's hard to really take too much away from how the team has played as a whole. It's you know kind of sloppy, but it's also the first two games of the year. This is always how it is. And also, like the more for the Morehead concerns, um, we beat them by fourteen. UConn only beat them by ten. So Morehead might actually be decent this year. I know they had a terrible season last year, I think, but uh, like I'm, I'm not going to get too worked up about that game either. No, oh, yeah, and I think that that's that's a good kind of segue into the the UConn matchup. Like, you know what, UConn, they're probably not a tournament team this year, or if they are, it's very much on the fringe. I wouldn't buy it necessarily, but. They do have Jalen Adams, who is one of the better players in the country. Uh, Taron Smith's put in some really nice numbers so far, as has Josh Carlton. Altariq Gilbert, who some might recognize as a former Syracuse recruiting target. Like, these guys are all playing well. I know, like, in general, I think UConn just has a more balanced lineup structure, and that's fine. Like, I I don't think that that necessarily matters that much when you think about how deep some teams that have faced Syracuse um, have been. The one thing I will say about UConn is that they are shooting the ball much more efficiently than Syracuse is. but they also are crashing the boards at a much lesser rate. So, you know, take take with that what you will. Like, there's there's some reasons to think that you know the UConn game might actually be a little more interesting than recent years. Not because of you know their pure their talent level being anywhere near ours, but more because I think both teams are are several steps ahead of where they used to be offensively. 
So you're not going to see like kind of the ugly slugfest that we've seen the last couple seasons at MSG um, against UConn. Rather, we're going to see um, something that's a lot more palatable. Um, going to look a lot more like basketball. Um, UConn's defense isn't necessarily that good this year, um, at least through two games. So I'd uh, I'd expect Syracuse hopefully to, to to get some decent shots if they can if they can start hitting from outside. Um, I, I think you can see a Syracuse team get to 75 or 80 points, um, and that should be enough given the Orange defense um, to come away with a win. Yeah, I, I haven't had a chance to watch UConn yet, but looking at the numbers, they they are shooting the ball a lot better than SU has so far. Granted, it's it's again it's two games, so it's not really a, a good sample size. Um, but they are definitely vulnerable on the inside based on these first two games because basically all the damage these the two teams they played, um, Moorhead and I believe they had UKMC. Yep. Um, they both did a, a fair amount of damage with their forwards. So obviously we're more more of a guard oriented team, but, but I we're think bigger. We are bigger. Our our guards are probably the size of the forwards in those clubs. Um, but I also think you'll see O'Shea really have a chance to feast in this one. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see, uh, you know, the battles and cues really get to work on the inside and, and try to just uh, because, uh, really win those matchups because Adams and Altry Gilbert are very good. They are not um, – they're, they're both giving up like four inches in their matchups. So um, – and then same goes for Frank if he's playing. Um, I think we have a, a pretty distinct size advantage there. Um, and then if Shukuru plays the way he has and hopefully limits the foul trouble a little bit, uh, that should be a big advantage as well. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think one of the bigger things in terms of Syracuse stopping UConn is, is going to be how they manage the, the non-Jalen Adams players. Uh, we've seen this before. Uh, when, when there's one player who's clearly very good um, on a roster, uh, in this case, Jalen Adams, like, SU will let him get his points and then you know shut down everybody else and dare that one player to beat him. And, and a lot of the time, it doesn't necessarily work for the opponent. Um, here, obviously, I'm not discounting Taron Smith. Um, or Gilbert, I, I just think that you know Adams, at least coming into the season, w- was was far and away the best player on this team. So I'm I'm curious to see how they defend him, um, and, and how they let him get his buckets while shutting down everybody else. I think that should 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 be one of the key matchups to this game. Um, again, I, I would I would take up the orange in this one, um, whether Frank's back or not, but especially if Frank is back, um, because the thing that just gives SU you know more scoring options, more bodies, um, and and you know arguably they're they're what do you think? First, maybe second at worst defender um, back. Like people seem to forget about that too. Like, you know, SU held Eastern Washington to like the tied for the lowest, um, you know, modern scoring mark for SU basketball, despite their best defender, not playing a single second of the game. Yeah. And Eastern Washington generally being like a pretty decent mid, mid major uh, team. Even like, if they Eastern were. <laughs> And yeah, and even if they weren't, they scored 37 points. Like, they're college basketball players. They're on scholarship. <laughs> like, they're better than that. So, um, yeah, I mean, defensively, this club is always going to be an issue. And I don't know how much experience Dan Hurley has coaching uh, against the zone. Uh, I don't really think anyone runs zone or has run zone in the A-10 since, like, because didn't Temple run zone under Chaney? Temple ran, was... like, the Amoeba zone famously, but that wasn't the same thing either. And I, no. I'm pretty sure John Chaney was long gone by the time Danny Hurley got that job. So... Yeah, so I don't really think. Yeah, and they also weren't in the A10 anymore. Um, I so yeah, I, I don't think there's a. I don't think there's a that there's a team that runs at least any sort of zone to the same level we do, um, in that conference. I well, it, he did play Duke last year in the tournament, but that was probably the uh, that was probably the extent of it, and uh, it didn't go so well. No, it did not. Um, looking past UConn a little bit, um, just because we could face them whether we win or lose, um, Oregon. Oregon's also 2-0. They played their uh, preliminary kind of uh, home tournament games uh, before they got to MSG. I'm not really sure what, you know, kind of benefit this grants Oregon to play in MSG, but whatever. Um, Oregon beat Portland State 84-57, and then they beat Eastern Washington 81-47. to um, Oregon's a pretty good defensive team. Uh, they're also a very good offensive team. They... Uh, I know they're not as efficient as, as Syracuse is according to the numbers on defense, but offensively they're much, much better. Um, Bowl Bowl has had a field day through two games, and really like this is another one of those situations where I'm curious to see us. Like Peyton Pritchard's obviously very good too, but I'm very curious to see how SU defends him in particular when he's averaging 17.5 and, and 12, um, along with 3.5 blocks per game through, uh, through two contests. Uh, I cannot wait for the potential of a Bowl Bowl uh, Pastel Chukru matchup. 
And I know Bol Bol flirts a bit more. He shoots threes. He's like a bizarre, (laughs) bizarre modern player. But they're both seven foot two. Um, so that could be really fun. Uh, and then it's Iowa, right? It's the other team we could play who I... National Power Iowa. National Power Iowa. The return. <laughs> the king returns. Just, uh, yeah, we faced Iowa actually at MSG a couple years ago. Yep. And that did not go well. Nope. I was I was there, I think. Because uh... that's like, we faced them a couple times at MSG. And I think, like, yeah, the last the last one went poorly. Uh, the one before that did not. I think the last one before that might have been, like, 09. When we faced, like, Stanford during, or whatever in that weird time. It was Cal and... No, it was Cal and UNC in 09. Oh, yeah. It was, I think you were mixing up them and Cal, which was also a... Oh, boy. Uh, well, that was, that was pre-Cal can get right back in this. We just happened to play Cal the year before as well, or two years before. It looks like we've only played Iowa three times ever. We, uh, yeah, I... I just inserted another Iowa game. It never happened. Um, <laughs> we beat Iowa in, at MSG in 2014, 66 to 63. And then the only other meetings, uh, a loss against a Lute Olsen uh, coached Iowa team in the 1980 um, Sweet 16. And then we lost to them 58 to 52 in 1957. So you were mixing up Iowa at MSG, which was a close win and not a close loss. We, who, who did we play after that? Cal. Thought we played Cal. Uh, I I remember that. Yeah, almost positive we played Cal. <laughs> the, is... Google's not super helpful. I googled Syracuse Iowa twenty fourteen, and the third link on Google is Syracuse dot com uh, about Matt Whitaker. So that's not what we wanted. Oh um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm yeah, it gonna... was it was it was Cal. Uh, it was Cal beat us. Cal finally got and back in this. Cal got back in this and beat us, and then we played Iowa in the uh, consolation game. There it is. Yeah, this is what happens when too many teams wear yellow. Uh, yeah, in the Iowa game, uh, Chris McCullough scored twenty points and had nine rebounds. Yeah, that was probably his best game as a Syracuse player. I remember. Way, way to go, Chris McCullough! You've 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 smartly parlayed that into a, a very long kind of journeyman career. Um, where you're still making more than the rest of us. So, perhaps. Yep. Chris is going to probably be in China or somewhere similar in a couple of years, and he's going to be making, like, probably $700,000 a year. So, there are worse things. Um, yep. So, that was the last time we played Iowa. So, we, it wasn't a bad day. It was a, a marginal day for a marginal team that went to the Final Four. Yeah. And, and this Iowa team is is marginal-ish. They, uh, they're not terrible. I, I see them having. I mean, they're two and zero. They uh, they got Tyler Cook, Jordan Bohannon is like kind of like their leading scorers. In they're general. a very Big Ten basketball team. Yeah, exactly. They're they're the sort of Big Ten. Although I feel like the Big Ten's evolving a little bit. I feel like they're starting to find a way to like to have like very kind of like rough and tumble teams that actually score more than sixty points a game on a regular yeah, basis. Yeah, they can shoot. It's just like they just have a lot of veterans. Um, Not a scrappy, veteran, a like, scrappy, very white. <laughs> Jordan Bohannon is like could have played point guard at Duke yesteryear. Um, Joe Weistamp's been there for a while, I believe. Tyler Cook's been there for a while, I believe. Uh, these are all familiar names if you like stroll past and watch. Uh, actually, Joe Weistamp's only a freshman, so I lied. Um, Tyler Cook is a junior. Um, these are names that are familiar to you if you like stroll through college basketball on like ESPN on a random Wednesday night or Thursday night when whoever the Big Ten plays or Big Ten Network, and you'll pick up on these people. Um, I think they they Iowa they were pretty bad last year, right? They had like a, really? a like bizarrely down season. Were they? I thought they were actually pretty good last year. No, I think the, I think they might have started. Uh, I think they started the year really poorly, at least. Oh yeah, they were bad. They they. Uh, I'm looking at just a bunch of losing streaks. They lost six yeah, in a row. Four, at one point. Fourteen and nineteen. Yeah. They were 88th in Ken Palm last year, which uh, which feels right for them. National powers, though, usually don't go that far down. And then they took Michigan to the overtime in the Big Ten tournament. <laughs> of course, as, as one does. No, they're, uh, they're 38th in, the, uh, in Ken Palm to start this season. Yeah, they brought back, like, everybody, so they should be much better this year. Um, they're actually pretty so. good. They, they play on the faster end, not, like, super fast. And they have 49th in adjusted tempo. Yeah, so that's a potential matchup. I think we both hope and assume well we both assume we'll be playing oregon because yeah. we assume oregon will beat iowa and that we will beat yukon um but it's it's hard to tell with these early season tournaments 
yeah, I mean, again, we'll see kind of who's back, who's ready to go at 100%. Um, if SU doesn't necessarily have its full complement of point guards and still has Ty's battle running point for some considerable amount of time, like maybe that starts throwing a wrench into, into the gears. But uh, we'll see. I'm, I think it's too early to really overreact about anything, especially when we're not 100% healthy. So I wouldn't... If I was orange, if I were orange fans, I wouldn't start drawing any conclusions until maybe even after these games. Like, let's see who's actually on the court. But um, with luck, SU is four and zero coming out of this, and maybe with a marquee win over uh, over one of the Pac-12s, is not the Pac-12s top team in uh, in Oregon. It'd be nice. Plus, uh, I would love some uh, Oregon Schadenfreude to add to the, the the collection here, especially now that it would be because of Syracuse and not just because we decided to to grasp its straws and, and tee off on them for no reason. I do enjoy, and, and Oregon's obviously more of your pet, pet schadenfreude, but I do enjoy that we have lots of jokes to make about all the three of these teams if if we, you know, however these matchups shake out. We can thank John Rothstein for the Iowa stuff. <laughs> it's all, it has nothing to do with Iowa. It's all about John Rothstein. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I feel like Iowa might be the John Rothstein of college basketball. I do. I mean, pretty much. I feel like at this point, like half of the national, like national college basketball jokes, stem from a John Rothstein tweet once. Although that was an article, weirdly. Um, the strangest article. Most, yeah. Although I think I think and I've probably made this joke before, so I'm, I'm most likely plagiarizing myself. But um, I think to John Rothstein, all all college basketball teams are powerhouses. He just loves them all. They're all his his large adult sons. I I, I can't disagree with you. Um, I guess moving on a little bit to football before we get to halftime, like very briefly, um, we can kind of just recap uh, the, the disaster, not for us, that was um, Syracuse's win over Louisville. I was really hoping we were going to hang 70 on them. We did not. Uh, if we didn't play like like ass, we would have. We played pretty poorly and won, and won so like won by 30 points. Th- th- this, is, this is another one of those games that like goes back to what you and I have been saying on this podcast all year. That like Syracuse trips and falls into forty point games, and like it it feels insane to say that. If Syracuse played like honestly, the last time Syracuse played like that in a competitive Louisville game, we scored nine points. Right. Like we did not play well, and we scored fifty four. If we had played our A game, we would have scored seventy without much of an issue. Which is like it's not. I, I don't even know what to like what to feel about that. I tweeted like this is my favorite game ever because we were playing so nonchalantly. We still had a ninety eight percent chance on win. offense. <laughs> Defensively, we played quite well aside from a couple of big plays. Um, but on offense, we just like were so mediocre. Um, Dungy and like had some really nice moments, um, but I thought played probably one of his worst games of the year. Um, Fifty two point seven QBR. So not yeah, a, which, not again, great. It's not great, but like in years past, our like our our bad QBRs were in the thirties regularly. Um, he did get some more stuff done on the ground, which was very vintage Dungy. And I, I kind of wish his last throw had been that long one that he completed for the touchdown. Yeah, I, I would agree. I with really that. wanted to pull him after that, and I get why Babers. Um, I don't know why Babers left him for one more drive. I, I get why he put him in for that one handoff, get the the, the salute. But there but, was a cheap shot in there <laughs> before that. Yes, that wasn't great. Um, Maybe oh god, the Giants. Oh, they're so bad. That's um, yeah, yeah. But but, but we want to be. Yeah, Eli just threw <laughs> a pick. Well, it wasn't really his fault. That deflected directly into that, someone's. No, arms. That, that's fine. The Giants kicker is on the fantasy team that I'm going against, and I'm only up by like 11. So I feel like this is good. I'm down 13 with Robbie Gould and Matt Breda, so I'm all Niners today to your chagrin. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, I, I do wish that Dungey had been able to walk off after that long touchdown to Naheem. Um but I, I did appreciate the like one handoff and, and like actually getting the the curtain call type treatment. So that was cool. The senior walk was really cool. Um, mostly like the videos after watch showing him going around the entire perimeter. Really, I, I really appreciate that tradition, and I hope they keep on doing it. I hope it means that Babers is around to do it a lot more. Um, so overall, it's hard to really complain. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. we bring our game for Notre Dame, which I don't think will be lacking in motivation. Well, and to be honest, like, I mean, without rewatching, because I kind of, at least for now, stopped doing that just to save myself. Um, this is what happens when you don't sleep as much as you once did. Um, it's, I feel like we didn't really open up the playbook much. I also feel like we were just trying to get seniors plays as much as possible, except for Dante Strickland, who we seemingly ignored in that quest. Um, I, I do feel like, Dungy at one point was just like, nah, we won this game, so I'm just going to keep throwing a Custis. 
and like that was that was the main focus for him. And like the second half was just like let me see how many let me see how many passes I can get into Custis's hands. Yeah, which I, I get. Um, and he only ended up catching two, but we fired a lot there. Um, yeah, just wasn't wasn't the best game for Dungey overall. He just didn't look super sharp. Um, no. He did make a lot happen on the ground though. Um, he did. No, he made some really nice plays. I think. It was, I don't know if you caught this in the comments where I was talking to a couple of people about Custis, and I think my 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 one my like biggest differentiator between Custis and like Edatawo and, and Ishmael before him is that Edatawo and Ishmael had had size and like marginal speed, but they were great route runners who like they knew how to beat inferior defenders, and then they could also go up against better defenders and make fifty fifty balls happen. While Custis, I feel like. He's not that great of a route runner. He has the same physical gifts, but then he also makes every pass a 50-50 ball. And, like, that's not necessarily what you want. Yeah, and it probably shouldn't be that surprising. I know he's a fifth-year senior, but he's, you know, this is his, his first real season of being uh, a playmaker at all. Um, I think he's I mean, he's faster, I think, honestly, than either Atatawo and Ishmael, and he's bigger than both those guys. So I think his physical gifts are, are ahead. He just doesn't have the... Um, the skill set right now. Like, Ishmael was such a good route runner. That dude um, was basically perfect uh, his senior year, and then they both had fantastic hands. Custis is lack. I mean, he's not bad. He's just not where those guys were, even if he is bigger and faster. So um, hopefully someone gives him a shot at the next level just based on those physical tools, because they're definitely there. He just still needs some refining. Versus um, Amo was just such a crazy one season. It's hard to really even like know who to credit there. Right. But Steve was a four-year performer for us and was like one of our best players on offense from day one. Um, so he had a lot of time to refine his craft. Um, yeah, the only other the only reason I was a little more annoyed is that it gave us four field goals out of Andre Schmidt, who uh, is definitely is, breaking the record. Now. It looks like he's going to break the and the NCAA FBS record for field goals. He's four off with three games to play. So. Probably going to happen. He's kicked at least one, at least two in every game, I would think. Yeah, he's uh, he's great. I, he's already the leading scorer for single season in SU history now. Which uh, he will shatter. Yeah, because... he's shattering that record. Um, one other thing about this game before we get to half, um, I promise. Um, Dan, how many more carries would you have given Mo Neal, given how productive he was in the crowd? Um, uh, I mean, you could have given him as many as you want. I mean, he had averaged almost... He was a hair under 20 yards of carry, so um, he picked up right where every Clemson running back left off last week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was awesome. Just they handed him the baton spiritually and just said, run with this, my son. You must go. Yeah, and like, as you alluded to, it would have been cool to see Dante get some more work, but it's not like we've been hurting. Dante Strayhorn's been a, a really nice four-year player for us, so it's not like he's been hurting for playing time. Um, he just had way less of it this week, especially more more at Jarvion Howard's... Uh, we're at the expense of, you know what I mean. Jarvin Howard took more of his carries. Yeah. Um, he had 15 for 71 and a nice score. Um, and then Dungey ran a bunch, but those were more, you know, normal Dungey things. Um, but yeah, Mo is awesome. Mo is going to be an absolute problem next year for teams with Abdul Adams and with uh, Jawar Jordan and all the other talent that we're bringing back. Um, it's hard not to, like, on paper this year, these teams should continue to get better, which is scary. And, and hopefully... Hopefully we don't have any any surprises on the coaching staff to deal with. Um, I know there are rumors out there, as there you probably had to expect there would be. Um, but none of these but, jobs he's going to. Maybe USC, yeah. but like none of the other jobs he's going to. This is all like if Dino's name shows up in every single list, it's because Dino's agent has been in every single year. Yes, Dino's agent's looking to, is doing his job, and it's hard to really blame him for that. No. Um, if Dino gets offered USC, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna freak out about it. Like if Dino gets offered USC. That's one of the premier jobs in the sport, and that's what happens when your coach does really well. He also we might not our... take it because of how USC handles their coaches. Yeah, and he didn't go there. Um, so he'll be, like, side-eyed the moment, moment he goes to the door. Um, but, like, you have to remember, our, our, the last two coaches we've had leave willingly both went f- to the NFL. So, like, it's... Oh, now the Niners do an awful pick. Um, it's it's really, like, if he leaves for a job like that, it, you just you just thank him for what he did and hope that we continue momentum. And I know that's been difficult in in the past, but uh, I'm also not going to worry about the USC job. I'm not going to worry about Louisville, because they're almost definitely going to hire Jeff Brom. I'm not going to worry about Purdue, because that's very much a, uh, a lateral move. Um, We'd probably yeah. hire Sean Lewis, admittedly. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be uh, a fan of that, but I would understand why we'd do it. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. Sean Lewis, I think, has done, like, all things considered, uh, not a bad job at Kent State so far, but I, I think I'd want to be a little more aggressive than that. Um, well, yeah. yeah I, so. I, I agree. I just, I think that does feel like the Syracuse move, even if I don't want it to be. That would definitely be the, that would, that would have been the Syracuse move in 2013 yeah. or 2012. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll cross that bridge if it, if it happens. I think it's very unlikely okay. based on the jobs that have opened. And it doesn't seem like we're, I mean, there's always a surprise, but it doesn't seem like we have a, a like crazy carousel in front of us. As we've had like two or three in a row, it seems like this year is going to be mostly like pretty tame, um, barring like a weird like Rich Rod type situation at the end of the year or something with some team that we don't foresee. Well, yeah. I mean, and to be honest, if we're looking at a situation like that, it's probably Ohio State. But I think Ohio State already has its ducks in a row in terms of like the top two names on that list. Um, Ohio that, State, yeah. Ohio State's either higher, like it's either Ryan Day, Day or Fickle, who did an awesome job earlier in the year. Luke Fickle's sitting there right in the state. Uh, Matt Campbell's gotten so much uh, hype for that job. Another job they couldn't like, hire. That like that's a thing. Like them and even like them because of how straight lines there are to that job and even auburn which like doesn't they have the money but i wouldn't necessarily say they have the the pull to get like if they don't get babers directly they don't create they don't create a cascade like nfl offers are what create that cascade nfl offers to the top coaches will create that cascade of, of of job changes down the line yeah and auburn like that like i they would not be thrilled. I don't think their fan base would be thrilled hiring Babers. No, I think no, no. Um, they want to go way bigger if they fire Melzon. Because like, if you're firing Melzon, you need to really go high. Because Melzon has... Obviously, there are issues there. Um, he, is, he is probably one of the 15 to 20 best coaches in college football, even with those issues. Right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, again, this is like not a thing to worry about until it actually like looks like it might happen. Right now... It's very clear that Babers' uh, agent is working the phones real hard, and uh, as he well should, because we should re-sign Babers and make it very hard for him to leave. Um, yep. And hopefully he gets that time. I mean, I, if, he's, if he's here next year, it's with a new contract. There's just no chance it's not. Oh, I completely agree. But I don't want to panic SU fans anymore. Um, nope. I needed, so we will move on to some beer, um, and hopefully drinking it happily and not nervously when talking about uh, Dino Babers. Um, Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, so I've had a couple new things since last we spoke. Um, last week after uh, our podcast, I went and had a pumpkin down from Ballast Point. Uh, they're very strong pumpkin selection for the fall. I don't remember if they've done this that many years in a row, or at least it hasn't gotten out here before, but it's it's all over now, as most Ballast Point stuff is, and it's it's quite good. Um, I had a uh, grapefruit ting by Siren Craft Brew, which I had seen someone in our Slack, I think it, uh, it was in Slack, talking about Siren um, I hadn't had anything from them before, but then, like, I saw this, so I had to get it. Um, very delicious sour. Uh, really enjoyed it. Um, I had a, white, a couple white IPAs from Braven, which are quite good. White IPA I'm always a fan of, and you don't see too much of it. Um, had some All Days from Founders, pretty standard. Uh, and then uh, last night I had a Wrench IPA from Industrial Arts, one of my favorite uh, Hudson Valley brewers. So all their, all their IPAs are always fantastic. Um, and then hopefully we'll get to have some, uh, some craft beers like a uh, noted noted craft brew Bud Light at uh, <laughs> Eastern Bar and Grill. <laughs> and it's that's, a, uh, that's this Friday. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a good segue into. We'll get to my beer picks in a second. But uh, for those of you who've been on the blog recently, have seen our social, listened to the blog last weekend or last week, excuse me, uh, we will be uh, having our first live podcast over at East End Bar and Grill. Uh, some may know it as one of the bigger Syracuse bars in New York City, if not the biggest Syracuse bar in New York City. Uh, we'll have that around 10 p.m. It'll be after the uh, the Friday game at MSG. It'll be hour, hour and a half of, uh, of live podcasting. Dan will be there. Andy will be there. James will be there. Uh, Hoya Suxa will also be there. I'm sure you'll find some other um, former and current Noons folks in attendance. Seems like we're going to have a pretty nice turnout. Uh, we'll have merchandise as well. There's a koozie deal involving... Um, as, as Dan noted, uh, craft beverage Bud Light and, uh, and, and and koozie purchase situation that we'll be spelling out for everybody in, in written form. Uh, there'll be t-shirts as well. Should be a good time. Um, wish I could be there this time, but hopefully hopefully next. Yes. There's basically going to be no reason for you to not at least come get a 
almost free Bud Light uh, with your Noons koozie. And uh, even though we don't generally support Bud Light, that is our, our craft beer of the week. Um, it's it's a very it's it's a microbrew out of St. Louis. Kind of a weird choice for a Syracuse event, but it is what it is. Also, um, if if you feel better about it, say you're buying the koozie so you can get like. I mean, what, what what makes you feel better, Dan? Buying a koozie to get a free Bud Light, or buying a free Bud, or buying a Bud Light to get a free koozie? I think whatever works for you as a as a as a person. I am while I I generally support uh, drinking craft beers. Like I'm also not someone who's just gonna like turn down a free beer if someone gives it to me, even if it's awful. Um, I'm not at that point in my life yet. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, if you want to like, if you want to give me your Bud Light or your koozie. I'll probably take either if you don't want one of those things as part of the equation. I don't know why you wouldn't, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll 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 do this together. We'll, I mean, if you want to come and chug a Bud Light with me, I'll, I'll be be there for that. I'm sure we'll be hanging out after the podcast for a bit, um, uh, celebrating the 2K Classic Championship. So yeah, uh, another reason to come down to or grow up most likely to East End Bar and Grill up on uh, I believe they're on like 88th and First, uh, if I remember correctly. Like really, that. really great SU bar. Um, so yeah, I look forward to seeing a bunch of you there. I look forward to seeing the the many many photos that are hopefully taken there as well. Um, quick stuff for me on beer: had a few things over the weekend. Uh, had from Mumford had a third term uh, West Coast IPA, uh, super good. They've released one this one the last couple of years. You can probably understand the reference. Doesn't try doesn't take very much effort. Um, Stone also has their uh, Moje IPA. It was a nice combo East Coast West Coast IPA. I felt like it it. I've had a lot of these kind of combination beers lately, and I feel like this one uh, might have done the best job of, of combining some of the things that I love about both styles and, and love in particular about the West Coast style. Um, went over to Smog City, and they had their kind of uh, big, uh, like, barrel room event um, with some of their, you know, vintage sours and some one-offs. I had a Moroccan version of Cuddlebug. I think it's a peach and apricot combo on a Cuddlebug, which is a sour, and then some Moroccan spices in there, which is interesting. Also had their uh, Citra Quercus, and it was a, uh, a Lambic-inspired ale. Um, and then Anoki, which is a sour pale ale. Um, also had, went over to Hermosa Brewing, um, over in Hermosa Beach. Had a Get On Up West Coast IPA from them, uh, which is very good. Nice, clean, crisp, uh, light body. Not like too light by any means, like light and just refreshing. Um, and then Wakey Wakey, it was uh, their uh, coffee pale ale that was like super intriguing. Uh, I would definitely recommend that one to uh, the L.A. area listeners if you want to get over there. But, yeah, some nice new stuff. It's been a while since I'd like been able to get out, obviously. So it was, uh, it was good to change things up a little bit. Very nice. Indeed, indeed. Also very nice, maybe. Um, Syracuse's chances here. Uh, Vegas says we're about a 10-point underdog right now. I know it's shifted between, like, 9 and 10 points. Uh, depending on the sports book, I think that's fair. It is a neutral field, um, so that's like an honest assessment of the two. Um, I think ten, Notre Dame probably is about ten points better than Syracuse right now, especially with the in book in. Um, that said, there are some reasons to believe in the Orange. I think we'll get to those. Um, but Dan, your initial thoughts: like, where where do you think Syracuse has the biggest opportunity against Notre Dame? Um, it's tough because Notre Dame's defense has been quite good this year uh i think they've shown a, they've let up a little bit in recent weeks um but i think it's i think it's kind of where syracuse has thrived this year i think it's making big plays and and winning the special teams uh syracuse has basically gone wire to wire is having the best special teams in the country um notre dame's i'm looking at uh at bill c's numbers as we often do there's rank 54th so not bad but not really game-changing in any way um, so if Syracuse can kind of dominate field position, I mean, that's just such an inherent advantage that Syracuse has baked into its, its identity this season. Um, and it seems to be just so consistent that you can just, you can almost count on it more than you can usually come with special team stuff. So I think it's winning things on the margin like that because Notre Dame has a, a big talent advantage. Um, I'm terrified of their rushing attack. Same. I am not that, I'm not that afraid of, uh, Ian Book weirdly, like he's been a lot better than Wimbush. But I feel like Wimbush is almost the kind of quarterback that gives us more trouble. So I was, I wasn't going to be super. Uh, I was. I'm not super worried about Book coming back, which uh, he reportedly will be. Um, that being said, like our secondary is very feast or famine, so it could go really, really well or really poorly. Um, but like I'm looking at at, at S and P plus, and like it gives us a uh, twenty two percent chance. 
Yeah, so it's like one in four, roughly. One in four, one in five. Like, that feels pretty fair. Yeah, you know, you brought up an interesting point there on book. Um, when I was talking to, and this Q&A will go up on Wednesday, um, our uh, fellow SB Nation blog, One Foot Down for Notre Dame, uh, when they asked who I was most scared of, Dexter Williams was my answer, the running back for uh, Notre Dame, who missed the first few games and yet still has like 770 yards. Um, and his uh, his efforts powered my fantasy team to win over Dan's this past week. Uh, <laughs> but anyway... Um, and yeah, I, I kind of explained like briefly over there that, you know, book is going to either book's going to get his or he's not. And I don't think, I mean, you look at like Ryan Finley put up some, some really big numbers against us. And, and so did Kelvin Harmon as wide receiver and it didn't matter. Um, so I, to me, I don't necessarily think the passing success is what's going to win you games against Syracuse. I think it's all about running the football. If you're going to be the orange, that's where it's going to be. Because if you, if you pass consistently, that plays right into our hands of, all right, we're just going to rush four to five every single down. And it's like, yes, our, uh, you know, secondary is very high risk, high reward. But if we keep putting you in riskier situations, you know, altering the trajectory of, of passes, rushing the ball, things like that, uh, just forcing quarterbacks to go through their progressions much more quickly. Like that's how you're going to, you know, force those mistakes. And, and for me, like book, has been pretty good this year. Uh, completed almost seventy-five percent of his passes. He's averaging nine yards an attempt. Like those are all great things, and, and I think they shouldn't be discounted at all. However, like a team passing is definitely going to play better into what we want to do. Uh, I think on both sides of the ball, because passing is obviously going to get us the football back on offense more quickly too. So, like to me, I, I, I think that you know if if they're smart, they'll, they'll lean on Dexter Williams. Um, they'll use book. You know, book and run a little bit, so I think they'll 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 lean on you know book in the passing game to help if they want to help us, and if they want to win the game, they'll they'll lean on Williams in the running game. Like, it's it's weird to think that given how we do let up big plays and how that increases over the course of the game, and and the secondary does struggle. But um, to me, I think time and time again this season we, we've seen when when te- when teams lean on the run to beat us, they win. Or or, or comes close to possible to winning, and if they don't, they lose. Yeah, I'm also interested to see what the weather uh, looks like right now. We're projected to be like pretty nice on Saturday, 50 and sunny here, which it's been cold all week, and it's going to be rainy basically all week, and we might actually get some snow on Thursday. So I do wonder <laughs> what the field conditions going to be. Um, Terrible. Stadium, uh, notably not the best playing playing condition as we've seen in our recent games there or previous games there. Um, but Saturday itself should be actually pretty nice, so uh, that could really affect things too. Um, and although this year Syracuse doesn't seem all that afraid to make it like a rushing versus rushing attack, it's just a matter of stopping it once in a while. Um, so it, it's uh, it's tough. Like Notre Dame, they, there's no like glaring weakness uh, on their team that says like this is a thing that Syracuse is exploit. But they're not so good that I don't think that there's a win in here somewhere. Yeah, and like admittedly, even if even with book starting, like I'm very curious to see like, okay, is he actually 100? percent Are those ribs still going to be a bit of a problem? Like, to me, like that that's something to watch. Um, Notre Dame is is good against the run. They're not like amazing. I think part of that's also influenced by their game against Navy. So I'd take any team that's played an option attack. I would I would, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Um, but yeah, Notre Dame averaging 3.72 yards per carry against, which is actually pretty good. I mean, especially as far as like all the teams in that general like 40 to 60 range, uh, they're one of the better ones. Um, but I, I do think that you know their schedule probably hasn't involved as much tempo. I think again, like also keep in mind the Navy stuff. So I think some of that yardage total might be a little influenced by that. But I, I think SU is going to be able to run the ball a little bit. Um, I'm very curious to see if they can actually get a spy on Dungey because, like, if they can get a spy on Dungey, keep him in the pocket, like, those are the teams that usually give us the, the, the most fits are, are the ones where, you know, Dungey's kind of limited. He can't roll out. I mean, when Dungey extends the pocket really from sideline to sideline, which is, I think, his best attribute um, and really stretches defenses, like, that's where that's where the big plays happen. That's where the mistakes start happening from the secondary uh, when he does things like that. So I think what, what, how they can contain him and what they can do to him um, over the course of this game is, as usual, going to be key. But I think in particular for Notre Dame, like I, I think everything locks in on Dungy in this one. Yeah, I'm looking at like, looking at their schedule uh, this year. It doesn't seem like they've played a whole 
uh, a ton of uh, really super good mobile quarterbacks. Obviously, Navy is its own thing. Yeah. Um, but like going down their their list, like uh, Michigan game, they obviously locked up Michigan. Although Christian uh, Dylan McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey's little brother, came in at the end and actually gave Michigan a nice spark, and he's more of a dual threat guy. Um, uh, Sam Hartman for Wake Forest ran 13 times for 29 yards, so not super effective there. But like overall, this wasn't like a great list of mobile quarterbacks um, at all. Uh, so it, it's kind of hard to tell how they will ha- uh, have to deal with Dungey, um, just because Dungey is such a unique player. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And like looking at the, the the per game numbers too, like I said, like this is kind of boosted a little bit by Navy, like six point oh eight um, allowed per carry against Navy. Um, four per carry against uh, Virginia Tech, 4.25 against Wake. Other than that, everybody's been held to under four yards carry. So, like, got to work cut out for us, but I think the Syracuse's big advantage, too, here is that it doesn't have a feature back. So, you know, if, if we end up, if, if they can shut us down in the pass, and who knows, maybe they can. Like, we do have the ability to run the football at them, and we have four guys, um, you know, Dungy, Strickland, Neal, Howard, like, to throw at them. And, and, and that's an advantage that, you know, not every team necessarily has the luxury of of just having all these guys you can just consistently hand off to um, and, and kind of, you know, not bear the burden of, of all those hits on just one guy. So, like, Notre Dame is going to be one of the better defensive fronts we face this year um, just because we have faced a few bad defenses this season. Um, but I, I do see the run game playing a big part in this one. We also face Clemson, so, like, you're not going to face a better defensive front than that. So it's not like we won't have uh, some some uh, something to look back on and say, like, we faced a bigger challenge than this. Although we did basically avoid running the ball in that one. Yeah, it was a strange game. But we, they only we, got the only sacked us once, though. Yeah, we faced, we've held our own with Clemson twice. Like, I think our offensive line has played up uh, quite a bit and, and has been good all year. So um, I, I'm not too concerned about their defensive front, although it is quite good. Um yeah, so basically, like I think the the advanced numbers like giving us a twenty two percent chance to win. I, I totally buy that, and and against the number three team in the country, I think you'll take that. Yeah, I, I'm completely on board. Honestly, like SU SU's done a good, not great job at, at keeping uh, quarterbacks upright. I think we have twenty four sacks allowed on the season, which is like eightieth or so. I think Dungy honestly is part of that, though. He um, is, and, he and takes more sacks than he should. He he. You know what though? I'm almost happier because some of those, most of those sacks are not the vicious hits they once were. No, he's good at he's good at mitigating. I mean, all year I think he's taken maybe two big hits, which is like he'd take two a game last year yeah. uh, and every year before this. Um, he has mitigated like the big blows. I do think there have been times where he's stepped into sacks, and there have been times where he could have gotten the ball out. So, it, but but you know, you'll take. I'd rather take one sack than, than, you know, a horrendous play, and he's limited turnovers. Most of the, I mean, he has, what, five interceptions this year? Yeah. Like six, maybe? Five. So, There's also been snap issues, like, numerous times, and, like, he's mitigated those by just quickly recovering the football. Right, and he's never been a bit, bit interception guy, but it's like, hasn't gotten worse this year as we've, you know, taken more shots downfield and whatnot. Right. So, um, yeah, overall, like, I think that's not, like, a major, major concern. It's basically we're going to play a really good game, and and we're going to have to on both sides of the ball, and that's what happens when you play these these top five teams. Like that's the only way you're going to win them is if you play a really excellent game. And uh, this year we've been lucky enough to be good enough to win some games where we haven't played great. Look at Louisville, um, even look at Wake, uh, and this isn't going to be that case. We're going to have to go out and like play like we did in Clemson last year, play like we did in Tech a couple years ago. Um, even like earlier this year, uh, for most of the teams against Clemson, for parts of the NC State game, um, I don't know that we've put together that like full uh, double like double prompt performance. We're just quite good this year versus like having to really step up. But if we get that A game, like we can absolutely beat this team. Yeah, I, I'm 100 percent on board with that. It's not going to be easy. I think we have to pull not going to pull a rabbit out of a hat. This is not going to take some miracle. Um, it's just going to take what we've been doing. It's making smart decisions, avoiding turnovers, then creating opportunities to, to, to turn the ball over on the other end. Like our average starting field position is at almost the 37 yard line. Like th- that in and of itself is a weapon that other teams just can't match. So I'm, I'm very, very encouraged to see w- what SU does here. I think, yeah, as long as the weather cooperates, as long as we don't see too much wind, I think that's going to be a key. Like you saw, you saw how, how Dungy's been affected by wind before, um, particularly the first quarter of the weight game, um, the weight game two years ago. I'm sure there's other games besides the weight game, um, but well, Wake Forest seems to be a particular issue 
uh, when it comes to wind uh, for Dungeon. He just doesn't have the arm strength necessarily uh, deal with a, a strong gust. So I'm hoping that we stick to like 10 miles per hour or lower. Um, we'll see, though. I, I just think anything we can do to yeah, avoid... Yeah, he said he windy. It can't get windy, and anything we can do to avoid a uh, you know a one-dimensional game like we saw you know again early against Wake Forest, where we just really weren't you know throwing the football because Dungey couldn't necessarily get something on target um, with with the winds going. So I, I'd, I'd watch that and I'd, I'd keep an eye on that um, throughout the week uh, as we look at the forecast because I think that's gonna that's gonna factor in probably more than we'd like it to, but um, to, just something to consider. Yeah, and on the other hand, if we can have Ian book. Um, bathe in Crisco like Juwan Pass did before the game Friday, uh, I think that would be good. Because Juwan Pass, uh, a couple times, just put the ball on the ground for no reason. And that was wonderful. I really enjoyed that. I also enjoyed that. That was great. <laughs> um, being able to use the uh, the Cisco GIF um, on Twitter was great for the fifth time this year. It had been a while since we uh, we got to trot that one out. So yeah, Andre, I really wanted him to get the pick six. He was so close. He was so close. Cisco's three picks away from tying the single-season mark. For Syracuse, I don't think he gets it, but hey, you never know. Who's, who has it? Is it uh... Yeah, SU's record book on their website sucks. So it, it'd be entirely too tough for me to do that now. So instead, I'm going to vamp while you're looking for it. That way, <laughs> that way people are less aware of the searching process, even if they can hear you typing. Um, oh, uh, well, no, I have uh, Tommy Myers in 1971. Did you pull that from the article I wrote? No, I found it on Wikipedia. No, because funny enough, and I don't really care if SU was listening to this, uh, Wikipedia has a better Syracuse football record book than Syracuse does. Um, I don't know if anyone else is, has frequented our uh, our Syracuse football statistical page on Wikipedia, but it's quite good. It's quite good. Surprised. It's mostly accurate. Um, it did has. It's not fully updated for this season. It's only updated through about four weeks. Um, but what I do usually is just cross reference the totals there with the totals on ESPN. Um, or CFB stats, uh, just to get a quick gut check. And they're usually right. And I usually compare that then <laughs> just to just, I basically just do some quick math to see where, especially Eric Dungy, lands on these lists. Yeah, it's definitely not updated, at least in recent weeks, because there's no Andre Schmidt on here. Um, and he should be at the top of every list. Yes. Uh, but yeah, according to this, it is uh, eight for Tommy Myers in 71, and then it's a four-way tie for second with seven from Aveda Stone, uh, who is a relatively significant player in Syracuse history. Um, Marcus Paul, who leads in career as well with 19 from 85 to 88. And has Ralph several Thompson. Super Bowl rings. Yes, and uh, and Donovan Darius, uh, a familiar name. Um, so yeah, and then single game record is three for Stone, Myers, and Marcus Paul. Two of those were set in Penn State, 20 years apart. Yeah, take that, Penn State, who we might see in the Penn Strike Bowl if we lose the last two games. Yeah, did you see the, uh, we, we're now, like, everyone's projecting us to the camping world, basically. Um, and then Orlando Sentinel, who is known for having a very, very good college football <laughs> section all the time, especially when it comes to Syracuse, um, has us in Music City in South Carolina. Really? They had us in the Peach Bowl last week. Orlando Sentinel did? Yeah. <laughs> did, did Louisville ruin that for us? Yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, as, as we know... The Orlando Sentinel, which I believe one year ranked us like 112th in the country, and then we went on to make the Pinstripe Bowl. They ranked us uh, 109th this year. <laughs> <laughs> the Orlando Sentinel is so bad. We haven't been the 109th best team in college. Like, since we Greg was there. We haven't been outside there. of like the 80s since Robinson was here. Like, we're not, like, even at our worst, the last, how, even under Schaefer, we were never that bad. So, yeah. Um, Orlando Sentinel, a bastion of college football national expertise. Uh, things will be in Nashville, which I'm all for. If if we lose the next two games, I think there are worse things. Well, yeah, I also wouldn't trust that at all. Um, I know. Oh, it's, it's very unlikely. Yeah, I know. Uh, Andy's bowl watch is going up on Tuesday. I haven't looked at it yet, so that's usually where I like do the whole rundown. Everything I've seen, I've seen a lot of um, Camping World Bowl, and I've seen a couple Peach Bowl picks. I think for us now, and, and I'll run down this again this week because um, some people still don't get it. Uh, <laughs> Basically, for Syracuse, you beat Notre Dame, you're in the Peach Bowl. Period. Like, it does feel that way. Because I, I don't see, I don't see a loss to BC being able to knock us out of probably what would be like eighth place. Also, also considering that other teams in the top twelve have to lose. Like yeah. one, of, like one of West Virginia and Oklahoma loses at least one more time. 
one of Michigan and Ohio State loses at least one more time. Like, the, my only concern is that the playoff committee doesn't quite work the same way as the polls all the time. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. Especially with the last week of the season. Last week of the season, you see some weird stuff happen <laughs> when they actually come to selecting who's going where. Well, this is why I was saying to people, like that's what I've been saying to people about, like the NC State loss to Wake Forest does not help us. Like it helps us only in the sense that NC State's now like pretty much out of the picture uh, when it comes to like being ranked ahead of us. But NC State is not, but NC State being out of the picture also means that our best win is as well. Um, so that's why we need a win over Notre Dame. And if we don't beat them, then we're not in the Peach Bowl, but a win over BC would get us there. Um, BC is still ranked. Uh, I think they're going to be ranked by the playoff committee as well. Um, if we Again, if we, if we beat BC, we're in the Camping World Bowl. I think BC's out of the, uh, what's it called? Out, out of the top 12 picture. They're out of that, that New Year's 6 picture. So it's really just, for us, it's, it's if we can get the job done in one of the next two games, then we're in that Camping World Bowl. And I think that there, there's enough people willing to buy into the concept now, especially since Anthony Brown seems like he's, pretty banged up and BC doesn't really have another option at quarterback. Um, AJ Dillon, unsurprisingly, um, is a little worn down from overuse all season, which should sound familiar to Boston college fans or anyone that's watched Boston college football of late. Um, you obviously don't wish ill upon Dillon. It's just not surprising that if you run a guy 35, 40 times a game, um, that he's probably getting a little tired. Yeah. I mean, we saw those Andre Williams in that, the, the game that got us to the Texas bowl, like, they came in, they were pretty, I think they were decent-sized favorites against us at the Dome. Yeah. Uh, Andre Williams was having a Heisman better season. season. Yeah. yeah, having like a legitimate, like, I think he ended up in the Heisman, uh, I think it was in New York. Yeah. Um, and he got hurt. I think he had like, he wasn't having a good game anyway, And but he, we, we are the one of the better stock for defenses, shut him down. But then he got hurt midway through the game, and, and that basically, you know, that took, BC's game plan way out, and then we ended up winning on the on the awesome throwback pass. Uh, so, yeah, very similar. Um, it, I, I, I haven't seen any injury update on Brown today. I haven't really looked. I wasn't working, so I kind of stayed off Twitter. Um, have they said anything more about him? Yeah, they they're not look. going. And they, and they won't be there. Unless, unless he's probably out for the season, and then yeah. they'll eventually say that. But uh, So, yeah, if Brown and... If Bra- if Brown is out for the demon and stuff, the backup did not. I mean, he was playing Clemson, so it's hard to really give him anything on that. Like, but hey, we're gonna blitz the hell out of him. Situation. I mean, sorry, what do you say? I was like, we're gonna blitz the hell out of him. So, oh, we're gonna <laughs> blitz. Yeah, but like, it, I, I find it hard to like make judgments on him based on playing Clemson. Yeah, um, being thrust into that the first time. Um, but if if he is is not, you know, if he's not like really ready to go, and Dylan is like as banged up as he looked against the Tigers. Uh, yeah, BC's in trouble, and and as you would be if your two best, if your two most important offensive players are hurt, like that just is what it is. So, um, yeah, we're we're looking. I think Bill C gives us, and his numbers aren't going to really take into account those injuries. Forty seven percent, forty seven percent to beat BC, but like an eight point seven second order wins. So, um, and projecting for that was that, sorry, it's a, we're projected for eight point seven wins. I was looking at Notre Dame's eight point seven second order, such as a weird coincidence um yeah projected uh for us to finish like nine and three so uh odds are he thinks we'll we'll pick up one of these maybe and if we do camping world yeah and i will i can go to pinstripe i can go to music city and i can definitely go to camping world based on the dates the rest i probably cannot get to unfortunately um so i'm rooting for any of those peach is the only one i've got like a potential shot at yeah, just New York, New York sits, uh not good for those who work in college football full-time, That's <laughs> um, unfortunately. It's very fair. Um, all right, Dan, as we wrap up here, uh, your prediction against Notre Dame, what are you, uh, what are you seeing happening? Um, I think we'll keep it, uh, I think the spread is basically spot on. Um, I think we'll keep it close enough. Um, I won't predict a win, although, you know, obviously I really hope for one. Um, I will say uh, Notre Dame will pick this one up 35-28. I'm in a similar boat. Um, I think that both teams were a little bit more than that. Um, I think SU has actually performed really well against P5 teams. Uh, They've only been held under 30 once um, this season. They've actually not really allowed as many points as you'd think they would have. Um, nonetheless, I think Notre Dame wins this one 44-34 um, in a game that, that Vegas uh, pretty much nails. 
Uh, and uh, completely uh, not on this subject, but I just watched Terrace Levert uh, maybe uh, dislocate his ankle. So Brooklyn Nets season pretty much done. Meet the Nets. Meet the Nets. We were, we were looking like maybe an eight seed. Uh, Terrace Levert had looked like one of the better surprises of the NBA season, and he just came down really, really badly. That's fine. You guys should be an eight seed. That way there's less competition for the Knicks to get the first seed. <laughs> to get the first pick. <laughs> Uh, so that's unfortunate. Anyway, yep, back on, on better things than Notre Dame Syracuse. I think it'll be a good team no matter what. I would be, I'd be very surprised if Notre Dame blew us out. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Um, Dan, anything else before we depart? Nope, come back to the show on Friday. Um, hope to see a bunch of you there. Hope to see a bunch of you at MSG slash, uh, I don't have tickets for Yankee Stadium yet. They're absurdly expensive. Uh, I should have bought them the other night, and I didn't. Um, so now they're really jumping up but i plan to find a way in there so yeah big big syracuse weekend in new york very excited agreed cues in the city get your t-shirt that you won't have until after the games at the bookstore (laughs) (laughs) or or buy one from us or or buy one from us who knows (laughs) yes do that you can have it on friday after two of the three games but whatever yeah you'll yeah you'll have it in hand on friday and you weren't wearing the same shirt three games anyway uh, some, I guarantee you some people are. Yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on Blog Talk, on iTunes, on wherever else to listen to podcasts, and go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.